uh, this has just become a great resource for us in helping us focus in through prayer and intercession uh, to stand in the gap for God to bring people to Him. We've been talking uh, out of Luke chapter 15 over the last few weeks about the lost sheep and the lost coin. And how many of y'all enjoyed Pastor Ian last week? Did you enjoy getting here from him? Amen. He did a great job, and uh, so I'm just so excited. I was excited about him getting to come and uh, preach at both campuses last week and just be a part of that. What a great day that was. But we've been talking about reaching the lost and the importance of prayer and how important prayer plays in that happening. And I'm just going to go ahead and be honest with you. We're seeing some amazing things happen already. I've already had people coming to me after the first Sunday. I had a lady come to me and say, Pastor Keith, I, I started praying that Sunday after church. And that Sunday night, I got a call that the person I was praying for actually got saved that day. They cried out to the Lord, accepted Christ. Had another gentleman come up to me and said, Pastor Keith, I started praying for a guy. I hadn't seen him in over a year. Uh, he said, I, I've never prayed for him before, but the Lord put him on my heart. I began to pray for him. He reached that guy, reached out to him that week. He met with him, led him to the Lord. Guy got saved, and uh, amazing things are happening. Amen? And so that's just a little bit of what God is doing, and your prayers really do matter. As Jennifer talked about this morning, the importance of worship. Worship is warfare. And as we worship, we war about this morning, the importance of worship. Worship is warfare. And as we worship, we war. Prayer is warfare. Prayer and worship really are a two-edged sword that allow us to fight in the spirit to see people come out of bondage and enter into what God really does have for them. So this morning, if you got your Bibles or if you want to follow along on the screen this morning, Luke chapter 15, we talked about the lost sheep, we talked about the lost coin. Today we're going to talk about the lost son. Uh, we call him the prodigal son. That's the King James word. And we're going to use that today just because it's got some good meaning to it as we kind of look in the scripture. So look right here in Luke 15 verse 11. It says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons, and the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide the wealth between his sons. And a few days later, the younger son packed up all his belongings, moved to a distant land, and there wasted all his money in wild or prodigal living. The word prodigal literally means wasteful or riotous living. The Bible says he moved to a faraway country and there wasted his money on prodigal living. Verse 14, it says, And about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. I love that little phrase, about the time his money ran out, because I think that's a key phrase. Because the Bible says that sin has pleasure for a season. How many know there's always an end to the money? There's always an end to the pleasure. There's always the end to the sin. Somewhere, what began as a joy becomes a bondage, right? What began as a party becomes a stronghold. What began as something that I thought was going to be fun and enjoyable ends up becoming something that destroys my life. We see over and over again people who just want to live a little party life, and before you know it, that party life turns into a life of addiction. We see people who begin to look at pornography thinking they're just going to gratify some selfish desires, and before you know it, they're living in bondage to pornography, and now there's a stronghold in their life that controls and torments 
sets their minds on a daily basis. We see people who are just looking for temporal pleasure. This one's going to feel really good. And all of a sudden, they buy something they can't really afford because they have a credit card. And then the bill comes due, and the money runs out. And what was fun ain't fun. And what was joy is no longer joy. And what was intended to bring pleasure no longer brings pleasure because there's always an end to sin. There's pleasure in sin, the Bible says, for a season. And then there's always an end to it. And the Bible says of the prodigal son, there came a time where the party ended and the money ran out. Look at verse 15. So he persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. And when he finally came to his senses, somebody say, he came to his senses. Hey, aren't you glad one day you came to your senses? And do you realize you're all here today because one day you woke up? Come on, somebody. One day you came to yourself, you came to your senses, and you realized what the prodigal son realized, and that is that everything that you needed is really in the Father's house. Come on, somebody. Everything you needed is really in the heart of God and the heart of the Father who loves you and gave his son Jesus to redeem us from our sins. So the Bible says he finally came to himself. He said to himself at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returns home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. I want to reread that. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Let me tell you why. Because he was looking for him. I want to tell you today, it doesn't matter how far you are away from God, God's looking for you. God's looking for the prodigal sons and daughters. God, with anticipation, is looking for those who have strayed away, those who have turned away, those who have walked away. God is looking with anticipation for prodigal sons and daughters to come home. And while he was still a far way off, a long way off, his father saw him. I want you to know that God's looking for you this morning. And God's looking for your lost sons and daughters. He's looking for the prodigals all across the world today. And look what the next verse says, or the next part of that verse says. It says, and when he finally came to himself, he came home. And his father, look what it says, seeing him a far way off, saw him coming, was filled with love and compassion. Love and compassion. And he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. I want you to understand today the heart of God is filled with love and compassion. The enemy uses guilt and shame and condemnation and judgment and accusation to keep us from the Father. As a Christian, you maybe have experienced this. I don't know if you've ever, as a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've ever just blown it, you don't have to raise your hand. But I've had a few moments where I've just blown it, where I just missed it, came short of the glory of God. And you know what the devil will use every time a Christian blows it? He'll use shame. He'll use guilt. He'll use condemnation. He'll tell you, oh, you're never going to, you can't recover from that. You can't come back from that. I can't believe, I thought you were supposed to be a Christian. What do you mean think about it? You're going to go back to church? You're going to start reading your Bible? God's not going to listen to your prayers. And over and over, the devil uses shame and condemnation and guilt to keep us in bondage, to keep us separated, to keep us isolated from the Father. But I want you to see the heart of God here. The heart of God is that his heart was filled, not with judgment, not with accusation, not with condemnation, but with love 
and compassion toward the prodigal son who had wasted his inheritance on riotous, wild, ungodly living. The heart of God was love and compassion. And the Bible says this, verse 21. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And kill the calf we've been fattening. For we must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Amen. I like that last phrase. So the party began. Let me tell you something. We don't serve a dull, boring God. He knows how to throw a party. God celebrates, right? Isn't that been the theme throughout all these parables? The, the shepherd celebrates, calls a party, gathers all his friends, and says, hey, the lost sheep has been found. Let's celebrate. Let's have fun. When the woman finds a lost coin, she calls her friends, calls her neighbors. Hey, let's celebrate. My, my found what was lost. And now the father throws a party, kills the fatted calf. I mean, we're going to eat high on the hog today. Because my son was lost, but now he's found. He was dead, but now he is alive again. And the father threw a party. Look at the next verse. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field working, and when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he told him, and your father has killed the fatted calf, and we are celebrating because, he has, because of his safe return. And the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. And his father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I've served, I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. And his father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed with me and everything that I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and now he is found. Let me just give us one word of warning before we jump into the message today. We have to make sure that we guard our hearts and that we don't become the older brother. It's easy for us as Christians when you do the right thing and 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 you do the right thing. It's easy for us as Christians to lose our heart of compassion for the people that Jesus died to save. I, I, I love the fact, listen to the wording, he says, this son of yours has come home. What he had forgotten that his father's son was actually his brother. <laughs> But he had already disassociated himself with him. He had already disconnected. He was no longer my brother. He's that son of yours. It's kind of like when your kids get in trouble and you say, honey, that, that boy of yours. I don't know what he's doing. That's what already happened. He had already disassociated himself. He had already severed the ties. He had stopped claiming him. He had stopped owning him. He had stopped praying for him. He had stopped believing for him. He had stopped. And he was no longer my brother that was lost. Now he's your son. He's just your son out there in the world. He's your son living wild. I mean, your son with prostitutes and, and drug addicts and alcoholics. He's your son out there doing all that stuff. And all of a sudden, we got to guard our hearts. We got to remember we were saved so other people could get saved. We were delivered so other people could get delivered. We were healed so other people could get healed. What God has done in you is intended to bring others to Christ. 
Our lives are to be catalysts to change through which God brings grace to us, and that grace flows to other people. So we got to guard ourselves against that. So look at that first point, just a quick recap. So we see that in this parable, like every parable, Jesus describes lost people specifically in this parable as a lost or a prodigal son. In each parable, Jesus reinforces the idea that one soul, one life, literally every person matters to God, and if they matter to God, they should matter to us. Every person matters. I was just thinking about this. Jesus left heaven and came to earth because every person matters. Jesus became a man because every person matters. Jesus, the Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin, became sin for us because every soul matters. Jesus died as a substitute for our sin because every soul matters. Jesus rose again on the third day, conquered death, hell, and the grave so we could be forgiven and resurrected and justified in Christ because every soul matters. Here's the revelation. We all need a Savior. Come on, somebody. And no one, no one is exempt from the desperate cry of a heart that says, I need God. We need Him. We need Him. Apart from Christ, there is no other way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through Him. And so we recognize the value of every soul. So look at that next point. So prodigals. Prodigals like the lost sheep, prodigals like the lost coin, they're not evil. We understand there's evil people in the world. There are wicked people in the world. But the realization is most of the people that we're dealing with in our lives today, they're not necessarily wicked or evil people. They are prodigals. Prodigals aren't evil, but they are, listen to this, they are rebellious. But they're lost. How many know rebellious people are still lost people? How many know that before you were found, you were rebellious? So listen to this. In this parable, or listen to this, prodigals aren't evil, they're rebellious and they're lost. A prodigal represents a person who has known the love of the Father, but has wasted their substance in rebellious living. A prodigal is somebody that's known the love of the Father. I don't know if that means they're saved or they're not saved, but somehow they've experienced God. They've encountered God. They've had a, a moment with the Lord, and somewhere along the way they made a choice. They made a decision to choose their path over God's path. Prodigal sons are individuals who have known the love of God, but now they're just wasting their life in rebellion and sin. I want you to look at me in Isaiah 53, verse 6. Isaiah 53, verse 6, I believe, gives us the most basic definition of what rebellion really is. And it drives it home to each and every one of us. Listen to what it says, Isaiah 53, 6. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Rebellion is choosing your path over God's path. Rebellion is going right when God says go left, going left when God says go right. James chapter 4, we're going to read it in just a minute, but the Bible says this in James chapter 4, He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. He that knows to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Rebellion is simply choosing my path over God's path. It's holding on to bitterness when God says I should forgive. It's, it's embracing a path 
that I don't want it, to, it's, it's embracing a lifestyle that's contradictory to the work and the will of God for my life. Rebellion is simply choosing my way over God's way. And the truth is we've all been guilty. <laughs> and even as Christians, we still struggle with the idea that if we're not careful, we'll choose our path over God's path. We'll choose the easy way over the difficult way. We'll, we'll choose the path of least resistance over the path that leads to God's glory. And so we've got to guard our hearts and understand that realization. In Isaiah chapter 50, verse 5, it's an interesting scripture. Isaiah 50, verse 5 is a prophecy about Jesus. And if you read the rest of the scripture, you find out it literally is talking about Jesus. It's talking about his death on the cross. It's talking about him being beaten. It's talking about them pulling the beard out of his face. But look what the Bible says about Jesus. The sovereign Lord has spoken to me, and I have listened. I have not rebelled or turned away. The Lord has spoken, and I have listened. I have not rebelled. I have not turned away. Think about what Jesus' obedience meant. Jesus' obedience meant the cross. Right? We already talked about it. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus, with great swaps, great drops of blood, is sweating, and he's agonizing. And what does he say? Lord, if there's any way that this cup can be taken from me, let it be taken. But nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus wrestled with his flesh. He wrestled with the reality that there was a painful path before him. And I want you to hear something. I want to make a bold statement to you today. If Jesus would have rejected the cross, Jesus would have been outside the will of God and he would have been in rebellion to God. Because Jesus actually said, for this reason I was born, I was born to die. How many of God sent Jesus to planet earth not so he could experience humanity but so that he could redeem humanity? There was a plan, there was a goal, there was a purpose, there was a direction for the life of Jesus. And so I want you to think about this. Rebellion is not just choosing sinful things. Rebellion is simply choosing your thing over God's thing. It wouldn't have been, quote, sinful for Jesus to say, I don't want to die on the cross for a bunch of wicked, evil people that don't even appreciate me and love me anyway. But it would have been rebellion because that was the will and plan of God for his life. He was born to die that we might live. And so you begin to recognize the significance of what happens when we simply choose our path over God's. Look at that next point. So our world, and we're going to get real personal today, and our churches are filled with prodigal sons and daughters who have chosen their way over God's path. Our world and even our churches are filled with prodigal sons and daughters who have chosen their way over God's path. Let's talk about the world for just a minute. It's not very difficult to look at our world and recognize we got a world in rebellion against God we got a world that's choosing their path, choosing the way, choosing their direction. They're doing life, living life my way. YOLO, right? You only, got, you only live once. So I'm going to live the life I want to live. I'm going to do my thing. And if it feels good, I'm going to do it. And if I want it, I'm going to take it because it's my life. And you only live once. But you can die twice. You can die twice. There's a natural death and there's a second death called the lake of fire. 
It's not hard to look at our world and realize there are a lot of prodigal sons and daughters out there. And you may be here today and, and you may say, I literally have some prodigal sons and daughters. Maybe you have a prodigal son. Maybe you have a prodigal daughter. Maybe you've got prodigal sons or, or grandsons and granddaughters. Maybe, maybe you've got prodigal people in your life that are, that are your family, your friends, your coworkers, and they're people you know. They're, they're right now, they're just living in rebellion against God. They're just living life their way. They know what they ought to do. They're just not doing it. And it's not hard to look at our world and see that our world is filled with prodigal sons and daughters. It's not hard to look out there and see how many people that just walk away from the church and walk away from Christianity, ultimately walk away from God. It amazes me when you listen to secular singers tell their story. It's amazing how many secular singers that are no longer honoring God, glorifying God, worshiping God. As a matter of fact, many of them are living their life in a lifestyle that is totally contradictory to everything that the Bible teaches. And you will hear over and over and over again, yeah, I started singing when I was a kid in church. I started singing in church. And I started singing in church. And I got my first opportunity in church. And I did my first drama in church. And I had my first acting part in church. I remember being a kid in children's church. And it's amazing how our world is filled with people that have just walked away from the Lord. Prodigal sons and daughters. But let's, let's bring it home a little bit. Because sometimes I think we think of prodigal sons as daughters as people who are outside the church. But the Holy Spirit really quickened this in my heart. He said, Keith, he said there are a lot of prodigals in the church. He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. I want to just challenge you to think and ask yourself this question. Is there any, any area in your life where you're not doing what God's called you to do? Is there any area in your life that you're not doing what God called you to do? I'm going to be honest with you. I can look back on my life and I can recognize that for me, much of my rebellion was rooted in a, in a mentality that felt like I wasn't good enough, smart enough, or qualified enough to do the thing God was calling me to do. And many times out of my own insecurities, I disqualify myself and I'm like, the Lord says, I want you to do this. And I'm like, Lord, I really can't do that. I mean, you know who you're talking to? I can't really do that. So why don't I do this? This is a little easier. I think I can do this, God. And you know what I just did? I just chose my way over God's way. I just chose my path over God's path. I just chose my will over God's will. Why? Because I was intimidated, because I was afraid, because I was scared, because I felt insufficient or inadequate or unable to do the task that God had called me to do. And the Lord just said, Keith, I want you to challenge the church today to think about any area in your life where you may be a prodigal. He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. That's rebellion. That's prodigal living. That's wasting. Because here's what happens when I choose my path. Even, even out of my insecurity, even, let, let, I want you to hear this, even out of a sincere heart, because I don't feel adequate to the task that God has called me to do, so I compromise and I create a lesser path, a easier path, a more convenient path, a more suitable path for what I feel like my abilities are. And what I end up doing is instead of being on God's path, I'm on my path that looks similar to God's path, but it's not really God's path because I've lowered the standard, I've redirected the course, and now I'm going to waste my time, my energy, my efforts, my talents, and my abilities walking down a path that doesn't lead me to the place God's called me to go. And the Lord said, challenge the church today. 
Before we reach the prodigals in the world, let's make sure all the prodigals in the church come home. See, I believe God, there's a fresh breath of the Lord on the earth today. I believe the Holy Spirit is moving and working. We're seeing the, the winds of revival, however you want to call it, whatever you want to say. God is doing something special in the earth today, and it's amazing. And I believe, hands down, you look at history, and you will see that the seedbed of revival is repentance. Repentance simply means to return to the high place, to change your mind and begin to think like God thinks, to agree with Him. And as believers, we got to begin to recognize the Bible says judgment must begin at the house of God. It begins with us, right? This is where it happens. Revival happens here. The supernatural move of God happens here. The winds of change happen here in our lives, in our hearts, as we just look at ourselves and say, Lord, is there anything in me right now? Is there a prodigal son in me? Is there an area where I'm wasting my substance? On rebellious living maybe not wicked living maybe not even quote sinful living but it's not the path that God wants me to do today let me just tell you something God allows lane changes <laughs> you can change lanes today you can refocus and redirect your heart you can you can turn your heart back to him and say Lord I don't know how I'm just gonna be honest I've, I've had to learn how to pray this prayer God I don't know how to do what you're calling me to do but I'm gonna trust you I don't know how to do what you're calling me to do, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to take that step toward the thing that you're calling me to do. And it may be a baby step, and it may be a small step, and it may be insignificant to people watching me. But it's going to be a step of faith that I believe is going to produce the fruit of the Spirit of God in my life. And I'm going to take that step. I'm going to begin to give myself to those things that God is doing and working in my life. Y'all with me okay? Look at that next point. I want you to see something interesting. Never seen this as I was reading Luke 15. In Luke 15, we see something. We see that the shepherd goes after the lost sheep. He leaves the 90 and 9 and he goes after the one. The woman searches for the lost coin. She sweeps her whole house until she finds that which is lost. But the father waits for the prodigal to come home. The shepherd searches, the woman searches, but the father waits. I put beside that waiting, interceding. I believe he was interceding because the Bible says he was looking for his son to come home. He saw him from a great distance. He was anticipating his return. The shepherd searches, the woman searches, but the father waits. He doesn't leave his son that stayed home. He doesn't leave the farm. He doesn't go to a foreign country. He doesn't go to a distant land. He doesn't go looking. He doesn't go searching. He doesn't go pursuing. He just waits. Now, Jesus is telling the same story three different ways. He's given us insight. He's given us understanding. He's giving us discernment to recognize some things. I'm not saying we don't search because the shepherd searches. I'm not saying we don't seek and look because the woman seeks and looks. But I am saying there is an element called intercession where we do through prayer what we can never do through words and through actions. If you've ever dealt with a prodigal son or daughter in your life, 
We have these ideas that run through our minds, and we think, well, if I could just get them to understand this, and if I could just get them to see this, and if I could just get them, you know, if they could just see, see how much they're loved, if they could just see how, how much their kids are counting on, if they could just see how much God has for them. And we just, we just want them to see, and we think if we could just have that one conversation, if, if we could just convey that one truth, if we could just help them see that thing that they aren't seeing, that everything would change. But here's what I've experienced, and you probably know this to be true in your own life too. Sometimes we make it worse instead of better. Sometimes in our efforts to retrieve the rebellious son, we drive him further into his darkness. Now, I'm not saying not pursue. I'm not saying don't help. I'm not saying don't reach out. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying there is an element here that Jesus is teaching us. That there's a place where your words, your pursuit, and your actions come to an end. And your intercession becomes the doorway of restoration that brings the prodigal son. The Bible says he came to himself. Let me tell you why he came to himself. He came to himself not just because he was hungry. I believe he came to himself because his daddy was praying. Miss Lisa just asked us before church, I wonder where the mama is in the story of the prodigal son. And we all agreed. She's in the back room on her knees. Come on, somebody. She's fighting for that baby. She's praying for that son. She's interceding for him. And I want you to see this today. I want you to see the heart of the Lord. Jesus loves prodigals. And he gives us an example. He models intercessory prayer. Look at Romans 8. It says, who is he who condemns? Remember, anytime you battle with condemnation and guilt and shame, that's not God. That's the enemy. The enemy wants to use condemnation and shame and accusation to keep you from God. He wants to tell you you've, sinned up, you've messed up too much. He wants to tell you you've done gone too far. Who is he who condemns? Look what the Bible says. It is Christ who died and furthermore who is risen, even who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. Who's going to condemn you? Christ has already died for you. He's already paid the price. He's already suffered and bore the sin and the shame so that you can be redeemed. And he not only died, he rose again. Come on, somebody. And now he sits at the right hand of God the Father where he intercedes for me and you look at Hebrews 7 it says but because Jesus lives forever the priesthood lasts forever therefore he is able once and for all to save those who come to God through him he lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf he's the great high priest who intercedes for us we are a kingdom of priests who intercede for the prodigal sons and daughters and through prayer and intercession, we break the back of the enemy. Come on, somebody. And victory comes. I want you to look at this last point. I want you to look at this next point right here. We pursue prodigals through prayer. We stand in the gap, interceding on their behalf, crying out for mercy. The Bible says mercy triumphs over judgment. Let me tell you the heart of God. The heart of God is not destruction and condemnation the heart of God is salvation and redemption and restoration God wants to redeem God wants to restore E.M. Bounds if you've never read a book by E.M. Bounds if you want to strengthen your prayer life read a book by E.M. Bounds it'll challenge you 
Ian Bounds made this statement. He said, it's a great thing to talk to people for God, but it's a greater thing to talk to God for people. Most of you may never stand on a stage behind a pulpit and preach a sermon, but all of us can stand before God through prayer and intercession and bring our lost loved ones, our prodigal sons and daughters, our lost, broken, hurting people. We can lay them at the feet of Jesus. You may not, quote, speak to men in groups, but you can speak to God on behalf of men. And there's nothing greater. Amen? There's nothing greater. I want you to look with me in Ezekiel chapter 22. Because in Ezekiel chapter 22, we get this amazing revelation. Ezekiel 22 describes the condition of the nation of Israel. I want you to hear this. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, say to her, You are a land that is not cleansed or rained on in the day of indignation. He's talking about the nation of Israel. The conspiracy of her prophets in her midst is like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They have devoured people. They have taken treasure and precious things. They have made many widows in her midst. Her priests have violated my laws, profaned my holy things. They have not distinguished between the holy and the unholy, nor have they made known the difference between the unclean and the clean. They have hidden their eyes from my Sabbath so that I am profaned among them. Her princes in her midst are like wolves tearing the prey to shed blood, destroying the people to get dishonest gain. Her prophets plaster them with untempered mortar, seeing false visions and divining lies, saying, Thus says the Lord when the Lord's not spoken. And the people of the land, listen to this, have used oppression, committed robbery, mistreated the poor and needy, and they are wrongfully oppressing the stranger. So listen to what God just said. He said the prophets, the priests, the prince, and the people, everybody from the top to the bottom was in rebellion and sin against God. They knew what they were supposed to do. They weren't doing it. They knew the law of God. They were breaking the law of God. And every person, the priest, the prophet, the prince, and the people were all in rebellion against God. But I want you to look at this next verse because in this next verse, God shows us his remedy for rebellion. Look what he says. And I sought for a what? He sought for a man. And I sought for a man that would make up the wall, that would stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land, that I should not destroy it. But I found no one. God's remedy, hear this, for rebellion is intercession. God's remedy for rebellion is intercession. God was seeking for a man. How many know that Jesus has done all he's going to do to save people? The price has been paid. The, 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 the work has been done. It is finished. He is now seated at the right hand of God the Father where he forever lives to intercede for me and you. The work has been done. He doesn't have to die again. He doesn't have to suffer again. He doesn't have to bleed again. It's once and done. One sacrifice for all the sins of the world. And now God is searching for a man. He's searching for a woman. He's looking for an intercessor. Why? Because your flesh, I want you to hear this, your flesh and blood on planet earth, this stuff right here, this is your earth suit. And your flesh gives you authority and dominion to operate on earth so that whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. Not the heavens where God lives, but the heavenly realm or the spirit realm. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in the spirit. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in that spirit realm. And God's looking for a man. Why? Because God's looking for an intercessor. The price has been paid. 
And the redemption has been purchased. But somebody's got to stand in the gap. The Lord spoke to me this week as I was praying. He said, Keith, he said, through, through your prayers of intercession, you, you create an open door of opportunity for the Holy Spirit to work. Prayer opens the door for the Spirit of God to work in the hearts and lives of people. And then he said this. He said, and when the church stops praying, the door closes and the devil wins. When the church stops praying, the door closes and the devil wins. Let me just tell you something, and I can't prove this until we get to heaven. But one day when we get to heaven, you're going to find out that you're here today, born again, serving Jesus, because somebody prayed for you. You're here today, born again, serving Jesus because somebody prayed for you and they kept praying 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 for you. Somebody kept the door open until you could find your way home. Somebody kept the door open until you could find your way home. Because God's looking for men and women, intercessors to stand in the gap, to prop the door open. Jesus has paid the price, and now there's an open door of opportunity for souls to be saved. And through our prayers, we stand in the gap. Through our prayers, we stand in the gap. I just had this little, little crazy vision in my mind of kind of putting your, door, your foot in the door. Now you can't shut it. <laughs> I mean, we just need some stubborn prayer warriors. We need some stubborn people said, I'm going to put my foot in the door. That thing ain't going to shut till my baby comes home. Right? That thing ain't going to shut till my baby comes home. I'm going to keep on praying. I'm going to keep on warring. I'm going to keep on fighting. I'm going to plead the blood of Jesus. I'm going to declare that new covenant. God, I'm going to plead for mercy, 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 mercy. Let me, let me tell you what prayer and intercession does, and we're about to pray together. Prayer and intercession, hear me today. When you're praying and interceding, you're not trying to convince God to save people. He already wants to save them. He's already paid the price for their salvation. So prayer and intercession is not about convincing God to save people. It's not about convincing God to bring rebellious prodigal sons and daughters home. God's heart is their salvation. God's heart is their redemption. God's heart is that their breakthrough and deliverance would come. That's the heart of God. So we're not convincing Him. That's not the purpose of prayer. We are warring in the Spirit. God has not erected a wall of separation. Jesus tore down, the Bible says, the wall that separates us from God. The veil of the temple has been torn from top to bottom through the blood of Jesus so that whosoever will, they can come. So God's not erected a wall of separation. Jesus destroyed that wall. But the enemy has erected walls of separation. The people you're praying for have built walls. They've built walls. I don't know if you've noticed this. I love to witness to people. I love to talk to people. And one of the things I've noticed is when you really start talking to people about coming to Christ and submitting their life to Christ and surrendering their heart to Christ, people have excuses. Have y'all noticed that? They have excuses. They have all these reasons why they can't, why right now is not the good time. Well, I'm not really just sure. I don't know if I want to. I'm not sure if that's for me. I, you know, I tried that one time. It really didn't work. And every excuse they have is a wall that has to be torn down. A wall that has to be torn down. And let me tell you this. 
What they need more than a sermon is they need an intercessory prayer warrior. Because the prodigal son didn't come to himself because he was scrolling through YouTube and he rose up on the right preacher. The prodigal son came to himself because in his brokenness and in his despair, he got a revelation, I believe, that came from the Father. I believe it was the prayers and intercessions of mom and dad at home that brought a breakthrough into his heart and his mind. And all of a sudden, the light bulb went off. And that boy that had been so dumb and deceived by his sin all of a sudden said, Hey, I think I'm going to go home. That's the power of prayer. Yes, we need the preaching of the Word. I've given my life to preach the Word because it's through the foolishness of preaching, the Bible says, that souls are saved. But it's prayer and intercession that breaks the stronghold. It's prayer and intercession that removes the blinders. It's prayer and intercession that tears down all those walls. So when we're praying, we're not convincing God. We're warring on behalf of those individuals. And God gives you insight. This is what I love about prayer. The more you pray, the more insight God gives you. The Bible says we see through a a glass darkly. But I'm convinced that the more I press in, the more I see. Amen? And as I pray for people, you know what's amazing? God begins to give us stuff. Kelly and I prayed. We prayed for many, many people. We're praying for some family members right now during during this, this season, preparing for Easter. And the Holy Spirit keeps showing us little things. Pray for this. Pray specifically for this. Address that. Bind that. Break that. Tear that down. Release that into their life. Why? Because we're at war. We're at war. And we're fighting for the souls of men. Amen? And it's a good battle. And somebody fought for me. And somebody fought for you. I'm not going to let the guard down on my watch. How about you? I'm not going to let the guard down on my watch. I'm going to be as stubborn as I can be. I'm going to stick my foot in the door, and I'm going to say I'm not going to stop praying until every son comes home, until every daughter comes home. I'm going to be that warrior. How about you? I want us to do this today. I want to just open the altar right now. We're just going to do a little different today. And if you've got a prodigal son or daughter, you've got somebody in your life you're praying for, why don't you just come to the altar right now? Let's just come. Let's just come. Let's just say, not today, devil. Not today, devil. I'm going to war. I'm going to fight. I'm going to win. Not today, devil. You can stand up. You can kneel down. I don't care what you do. Just come. Let's just come. Right now, you're not waiting on me. Just start to pray. I want you to begin to pray for that lost person. I want you to begin to pray for that prodigal. I want you to call their name right now. Just begin to call their name out. Jesus, we call their names. God, we call their names. We call out to heaven today. God, we plead the mercy of God. We plead the blood of Jesus. God, we decree and declare today that you're a savior, that you're a healer. God, we tear down those walls today. We tear down those walls. We bind every scheme and every strategy of the enemy. We bind every scheme and every strategy of the enemy against their life. And we tear down those walls. Right now, you just pray. Just pray. Don't wait on me. You just pray. You just pray right now. Just pray, pray, pray. Pray for those that don't know the Lord. Pray for those that are prodigal. Pray for those that are far away. Call them home. Just call them home. Call them home. Lord, we war today. We thank you for the blood of Jesus. We thank you for a new covenant. We thank you for redemption and salvation. God, we thank you that you're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And right now as you pray, if you're here in this sanctuary, you're watching me online, 
Maybe you realize you don't know the Lord today. Maybe you realize you are a prodigal this morning. You're living your life, your life, your way, and you've never surrendered your life to Christ. But today God is dealing with you. Today the Holy Spirit's knocking on your door, and God is saying, hey, today's the day for you to come home. Today's the day for you to come home. Today's the day for you to accept Jesus Christ and run to the heart of your Father. That's your opportunity today, right now. You can do that. Let me just, let me be really clear today. Let me be really clear. Everybody's going to make a real choice today. You're going to choose to accept Christ or you're going to choose to reject Christ. That's your choice. There's no neutral ground today. Everybody in this room is either choosing to accept Jesus or choosing to reject Jesus. That's the choice. And you can say, well, Pastor Keith, I'm not rejecting him. I'm not ready yet. No, that's rejection. That's what you're doing. You're rejecting Christ right now when you say no to him. But this morning, the Holy Spirit is dealing with your heart, and you know God's talking to you. It's not a preacher in Arab, Alabama. It's the Lord. He loves you, and he's talking to you. And if you're here this morning, or you're watching online, and you say, today, Pastor Keith, I don't want to be a prodigal anymore. I want to come home to the Father. I want to be forgiven. I want to be free. I want to be adopted in the family of God. I want to be a son and a daughter of God. If that's you, just raise your hand. Just raise your hand all across this building right now. Just simple act of faith. Pastor Keith, that's me. I'm raising my hand. I want to be saved today. I want to be saved. I want to come home to the Father. And I want to know Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. I'm going to pray a little prayer. As these continue to pray in the altar, guys, just continue to pray. God hears your prayers. This is so beautiful today. I believe, I believe God is pleased today. I believe there's a party going on in heaven as souls are literally being snatched out of the pit of hell today because of the prayers and intercession of God's people. But if you raise your hand or you're online and you raise your hand, let's pray this prayer together. I want you just to say it with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins, rose again on the third day. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. I want to come home. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, congratulations. Welcome to the family this morning. Right now, if you're in the altar, let's just lift our hands up. Lord, we just thank you right now. God, I thank you today for the power of prayer. I thank you that you found, Lord, not just one man. You found a church. God, you found a church, God, to intercede on behalf of a nation, to intercede on behalf of the prodigal sons and daughters. And Lord, we just call them home today. And God, we just declare yes and amen over their lives today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, give the Lord a shout. Amen. Well, won't you make your way back to your seats? Give somebody a hug. God bless you today. You are dismissed. Have a great day in the Lord. We love you guys. That's excellent. Excellent.